It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Winds it up, delivers. Tommy drills one high and deep to center. Away, way, way back. Gone deep into the picnic plaza. And that might have even got out of the ballpark. Jim Tommy has just left Jacobs Field onto Eagle Avenue. That will take two tape measures. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Just a Bit Outside, our Cleveland Indians podcast here at the Buckeye Scoop. I am your host, Brandon Castell, and uh, excited to be back with you today talking about the Cleveland Indians, talking about Major League Baseball. There has been a lot going on, a lot going on in the sporting world, obviously, but uh, which is exciting and, and nice to be saying. We've got uh, the National Football League starting up. We've got some college football kicking off, although not the Big Ten. <coughs> Don't get me started on that because we're supposed to be talking about the Cleveland Indians here, but I know my colleagues here at Buckeye Scoop have been all over the latest and greatest with Ohio State and the Big Ten and everything going on there. Uh, And a lot going on with Major League Baseball and really, again, coming in hot here now. We're coming in to the the last stretch of the season, which is crazy to say. Um, You know, when you think about typically uh, the length of a Major League Baseball season, it feels like would be going on and on and on. And here we are already past the trade deadline. Here we are already starting to talk about the playoffs and magic numbers and the final kind of countdown for what this season is going to look like. Um, so we're going to get into that a little bit. And then we'll get into uh, kind of what went down at the trade deadline here today. So a lot has gone on with the Indians uh, in terms of remaking their team this year with Mike Clevenger. And, uh, you know, some of the guys that they were able to acquire. So we'll take a closer look at that. If you listened to last episode, we talked a lot about Mike Clevenger and whether the Indians would actually trade him at the deadline. Of course, that did go down. Uh, So it started to get kind of hot and heavy the night before the trade deadline. There started to be some reports that um, it was almost a certainty that Mike Clevenger was going to get traded, which 
I kind of thought that might end up happening. Again, if you go back and listen to episode five uh, of this podcast, you'll you'll get a little bit of a deeper dive on the potential for the Indians to trade both Zach Plesak and Mike Clevenger. And really what we came to the conclusion of on the last episode was uh, it just didn't make any sense whatsoever for the Indians to trade Zach Plesak, a guy who they have complete control over and is only 25 years old. But Mike Clevenger at age 29 – uh, given the fact that he's arbitration eligible, given the fact that, um, you know, again, what happened in Chicago and his decision to get on the team plane to me was the most egregious part of that whole story. Uh, I just thought there was a good chance that if the Indians could get, you know, something back in return that was meaningful, that they would make a move. And so it was encouraging, I guess, from an Indian's perspective the night before the trade deadline to hear that there were a number of teams that were potentially involved and, you know, the front office in Cleveland, uh, Chris Antonetti, Mike Chernoff, that they were fielding calls about Mike Clevenger and that there was potentially a bidding war that was going on between uh, a couple of different teams. We actually talked about some of those potential landing spots for Clevenger on the last episode. Uh, we mentioned, you know, potentially the New York Yankees. Would that make sense if they were going to try to get, you know, Clint Frazier back or something like that. The Atlanta Braves, obviously, they've got some guys in their minor league system at the top end that the Indians would covet and specifically looking for an outfield bat, which the Indians have not been able to find uh, in their own system here and really, uh, really not been able to find whatsoever uh, for the last few years. And, of course, one of the teams that we didn't talk about on that episode was the San Diego Padres. And they were named as one of the potential trade destinations and really, that's on me. Um, that's on me to not really get into a potential trade with the Padres, given you know the familiarity between the Indians front office and San Diego. Obviously, uh, going back a couple years, they made a trade to get Brad Hand. Last year, they made the trade for Fran Mil Reyes. And so it uh, kind of made sense that the Indians and Padres would have that connectivity. Uh, obviously, the Padres are a young baseball team, but they are a team that is loaded with minor league talent, or at least they were heading into the trade deadline. So uh, that was really on me that we didn't get into, you know, potential trades between the Indians and the San Diego Padres on last week's episode. But we will dive into that here in episode six of Just a Bit Outside. We're going to talk more about that trade. Who did the Indians come away with? And was it worth it? Should the Indians have held on to Mike Clevenger? Did they get enough back in return? And when uh, could we potentially expect some of those guys to start making an impact and what type of impact uh, will they make? We're going to talk a little bit more about the Indians pitching rotation, which has been phenomenal this season. Uh, obviously, with Shane Bieber, he continues to be dominant and uh, essentially setting himself up right now as the clear front runner for the Cy Young Award, potentially uh, for the MVP as well. And then uh, our guy, Tristan McKenzie. I think we're going to call him our first our guy uh, on this show on Just a Bit Outside because this is a kid who we spent a lot of time talking about as he was called up, you know, getting ready for his first start and then coming out of his first start. And so it's been really exciting to watch this kid kind of take that spot and run with it uh, as potentially another young stud in the Indians rotation. And if he is, if he can keep this going, then you're talking about a kid that really – would fill out that fifth spot and give the Indians, I, I would have to say, you know, if not the best rotation in baseball, at least the most complete rotation in baseball. There may be someone out there that has, a, you know, maybe a better front end, but uh, I think the Indians top, top to bottom in their, in their one through five 
probably could stack up with anyone else in Major League Baseball. And so uh, we'll talk about those guys today and then just a little bit more on where are the Indians today, what's been going on in the league, and what should we expect down the stretch? Uh, where do they stand in terms of the division? And um, just get into that a little bit today. But excited to be on with you again for another episode. Um, if you're interested, you can follow our show uh, on Twitter at Just Outside Pod. You can follow myself at Bcast Ohio. And of course, if you're listening to this, please uh, leave us a good review, leave us a five star rating, like us if you like the show. And uh, again, we're excited to be able to bring you uh, a great variety of podcasts here at the Buckeye Scoop, and uh, including a little bit here on Major League Baseball for our fans in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I actually got a chance to get out of Cleveland, Ohio for the first time in quite a while. I went on my first airplane uh, over the last week, so that's where I've been um, since this whole kind of COVID-19 situation erupted back in March. And so did, took my first flight, went to visit my brother in Kansas City. Just so happened, of course, the Indians were playing the Royals over the last uh, few days, but went to visit my brother in Kansas City. And uh, I can tell you, great experience. So um, again, not, not a lot uh, of folks in the airport, not a lot of folks on these flights, but it was a, a really good experience, better than I would have expected uh, traveling in the midst of this. So, you know, actually kind of was a, a relaxing experience to get on an airplane, had the mask on the whole time, everybody had their masks on, uh, all of that staying safe. But that was my first uh, real trip outside of the area since all this has gone down. And uh, had, a, had a pretty wild weather experience in Kansas City uh, when I got to Kansas City. When I left Cleveland, it was, you know, kind of mid-60s and, and rainy on Saturday. Got to Cleveland or got to left Cleveland and got to Kansas City, and it was low 90s. Um, went out on a boat uh, for Labor Day. It was, you know, again, 90, 91. And then all of a sudden woke up on Tuesday, and it was about 58 degrees in Kansas City. So kind of a wild swing. Obviously, if you're following some of what's going on in Denver, you know that that's uh, not the only place they had a wild swing. I think Denver was uh, 90 degrees on Sunday or Monday, and then uh, they were expecting to get up to six inches of snow in the next couple of days. So uh, pretty crazy uh, weather going on right now here in Cleveland. Obviously, I uh, heard there were some crazy storms while I was gone, but came back to uh, kind of low 70s. So it's been great here. And um, and hopefully we'll continue to see good weather through the rest of this Indians baseball season. But let's get into it a little bit today on the big trade that the Indians made at the deadline. Kind of want to start with that because I think that is the most interesting topic uh, right now around the Indians. So the Indians um, made another big trade with the San Diego Padres. And um, this should not have come as a surprise to us because this is now you know, really the third big trade that uh, the Indians front office has made with A.J. Preller, the GM in San Diego, and I mentioned this already, but uh, the first one, they made the trade back in 2018 to pick up Brad Hand. They needed a new closer. They traded at the time probably the most talked-about prospect in the Indians' farm system, uh, maybe not their highest rated, and especially certainly given his kind of positional situation, maybe not a guy who is going to be in the long-term plans, uh, but Francisco Mejia back in 2018, if you remember, was probably the most talked about player in the Indians farm system. And so they dealt Francisco Mejia to San Diego um, for Brad Hand. And then last season, they made a big trade with the Padres as well. Now it was a three-team deal. The Cincinnati Reds were involved, and that was the trade. Uh, a lot of people don't necessarily think about that one as much because the Indians sent Trevor Bauer 
to the Reds in that trade. Um, but they got back Fran Mil Reyes along with Yasiel Puig and two other prospects, uh, Logan Allen and infielder Victor Nova. So the Indians really ended up um, kind of getting, getting most of the players or getting the, the most of that trade came from San Diego, while the Padres, you know, ended up kind of getting a prospect of their own and the Reds ended up with Trevor Bauer. And so that was, again, another big trade with San Diego. And then the Indians uh, at the deadline this year acquired a boatload of prospects from the Padres in exchange for Mike Clevenger. So it's crazy to think the Indians have now traded Trevor Bauer, Mike Clevenger, and two-time Cy Young Award winner Corey Kluber all really within the last year. Talking about really the front end of what was, again, one of the best rotations in baseball, and the Indians have traded all three of those guys. Now, you know, that's obviously um, a problem for some teams when you don't have that kind of depth. Now, the Indians have had some tremendous young pitchers who will see how they pan out long-term, but it looks like, you know, they haven't missed a beat with their rotation. And in getting players back, instead of letting those guys go in free agency, the Indians have been able to really replenish their minor league system. Um, and so, you know, we'll see again, prospects are just that they're prospects until they actually get to the major leagues, make an impact. And so, um, you know, again, I, you got to think that the team that got the best player typically wins the deal uh, until they don't. Right. So right now, maybe with the exception of the Corey Kluber trade, because he's been hurt uh, with, with Texas, but in the Trevor Bauer trade, he's been phenomenal for the Reds and we'll see kind of how that pans out. But obviously Fran Mill Reyes, has also been phenomenal. So in that case, I think the Indians obviously uh, won, even if you consider the Reds to have won that trade as well. Uh, again, if they don't keep uh, Bauer long-term, then I think you got to say the Indians ended up winning, winning that trade, at least between the Reds and the Indians. Uh, and then with the Mike Clevenger trade, again, right now the San Diego Padres have won that trade because they got a front-end starter. You know, if he pitches like that, they got a front-end starter, and uh, they gave up a handful of prospects. We don't know exactly – what those guys will turn out to be. Uh, but the weird thing about this trade was the Indians did not get one of the top line players in the San Diego Padres system. And so uh, some people have been critical of that. Uh, obviously, San Diego has a great farm system. They were one of the top five ranked uh, farm systems in all of baseball. So, you know, the number seven through 10 prospects in San Diego might be the number three through five and, you know, another franchise, but at the end of the day, the Padres were able to get Mike Clevenger. They were able to make some other moves at the deadline, and they weren't willing to part with any of their top five prospects. And so that was something that was interesting that came out of this. And um, San Diego ended up pulling, you know, what, what could be a number one or number two starter, um, but we'll see. We'll see what Clevenger turns out to be because he hasn't been that great in his first two starts for San Diego since the trade. And so we'll see what he turns out to be long-term with the Padres. I obviously think that Mike Clevenger has great stuff. You know, he has the, the stuff to be a number one or number two starter, but he hasn't really put it all together. And he, he really hadn't put it all together in Cleveland for more than maybe a half a season at a time. You know, there were times that he looked dominant. There were times that he looked like one of the best pitchers in baseball. And then an injury would creep up and cause a problem where, you know, he wasn't able to continue and keep that momentum going and he'd be starting over from scratch. So it made sense on a lot of levels for the Padres. They're in the thick of things for the first time in a long time. 
Um, we'll get into the standings a little bit, but the Padres are currently sitting at 28 and 17. They're only four and a half games back of the Dodgers who have the best record in baseball at 32 and 12. And so this was the time for the Padres to go for it. But again, they went for it without giving up any of their top five prospects. So they came away with what they wanted, which was a high quality starter. Uh, they also picked up Greg Allen, an outfield outfielder from the Indians, um, who gives them some depth, not going to be an everyday player. Not sure he's ever going to be an everyday player in Major League Baseball, but Greg Allen's a nice uh, guy you can bring in off the bench. He can steal some bases. He can play defense. He can play center. He can play one of the corner spots, give you some speed, some defense late in the game. Uh, so a guy that makes a lot of sense. And he's a guy uh, who knows that area, played at San Diego State under – uh, that that uh, program out there. And so he's a guy that's really going to be uh, just kind of a nice asset for them to have in addition to Clevenger, but obviously Clevenger is the focal point of this trade. Um, and so it makes sense for the Padres on a number of levels. They get a front-end starter who they can actually control through 2023. So that was something we discussed on the last episode. If it made sense for the Indians to trade Clevenger now, given that they technically have control over him, until 2023. However, uh, he has arbitration coming up the next uh, next few off seasons. So that's something where even though you have control, you may not have control over how much you end up paying him. Now they were able to avoid arbitration with Clevenger going into the 2020 season, but uh, at some point you would have to imagine they'll end up either San Diego will end up either having to pay him something meaningful, which you know you're probably thinking. 13, 14 uh, million a year, potentially up to what Trevor Bauer got, which was 17 and a half million from the Cincinnati Reds in order to avoid arbitration heading into this season. Uh, or you've got to go through arbitration. And that could end up being a very similar number, could end up being a little bit less, but doesn't always end up, you know, being a very clean process. And so the Indians avoid arbitration, avoid having to worry about that with Mike Clevenger. And they get a quantity number of prospects over really a quality number of prospects. And so not to say that the guys they got aren't quality, but this was not the kind of trade deals that we had been talking about on the last episode, which were, you know, Clevenger going to the Yankees, Clevenger going to the two, uh, the Atlanta Braves for one of the top outfield prospects in their system. That's not what happened with this trade. The Indians did not, as I mentioned, get one of those top five prospects, uh, but they did land basically an entire new farm system. And that includes uh, an outfielder. That includes outfielder slash first baseman Josh Naylor, catcher Austin Hedges, uh, and right-handed pitcher Cal Quantrill, uh, all of whom got added to the major league roster you know, right after they were brought over and actually made their debut uh, essentially in that next game. And so you've got three guys who are major league ready, and then they also added a couple of minor league players in shortstop uh, Gabriel Arias, minor league left-hander Joey Cantillo and minor league infielder Owen Miller uh, as the kind of final three guys to round out the trade. So there you have it. The Indians traded Mike Clevenger and Greg Allen to the San Diego Padres for six players, three young players who are on the major league roster and three minor league players uh, who were really kind of the key, I would say prospects in that trade, obviously uh, being Miller, uh, Cantillo and Arias. And so those are the three guys that you're going to really be judging this trade on, although I think they're hoping they can get some, some quality out of Naylor, Hedges, and Quantrill. 
they also owe San Diego a player to be named later as well. But uh, that's the trade. That was the big deal for the Indians at the deadline. Crazy to think, again, that those guys who were such a key part of this rotation, the World Series rotation, when you think about uh, Corey Kluber, when you think about Trevor Bauer, when you think about um, now with Mike Clevenger, even Danny Salazar, uh, those guys no longer being a part of the team. Uh, obviously, this is going to be a new era of Indians baseball, and, and not that that's something that Clevelanders are uh, not used to here. A lot of turnover with this roster, but give the front office credit. You know, even though they haven't been able to keep some of the big names for the long term, they've done a good job of turning over the roster, making trades, finding guys in other team systems that can come over and be a part of the next wave. And so, you know, that's something to keep in mind as you look at this trade. They didn't get Clint Frazier and Miguel Andahar from the Yankees. They didn't get one of the top outfield prospects uh, from the Braves, which we discussed on last week's episode. But they did go back to a farm system that they know well. So that tends to be a very uh, kind of important piece here. We talked about that on a previous episode when it came to the Bartolo Colon trade with Montreal, how the Indians had a really good understanding of the Expos minor league system. And so, you know, they were able to go out and find a guy. Not Obviously, everyone knew who Brandon Phillips was at the time, and he was the guy that you know, really was the marquee name in that trade, but they were able to go out and pluck a Cliff Lee who was in a lower level of the minors. They were able to go out, um, you know, and, and and pluck a Grady Sizemore in that trade. And so that's how they end up winning that trade, even though Cologne, again, has outlasted all of those guys. That's how you end up winning a trade. When you feel confident about your understanding of that that team's farm system and some of the guys that you can go out and get out of that farm system, and so they end up going and making this trade, getting six guys from a really a loaded farm system. And they ended up with the number seven overall prospect, according to MLB.com, in Arias, the number nine prospect in Cantillo, who's a left-hander, uh, which is always a, a nice find if you can get one. And then the number 11 prospect in Owen Miller, who's a middle infielder that has already drawn some comparisons to uh, Kansas City's Whit Merrifield, or I've heard Ben Zobris' name brought up a few times so a guy who could really be you know play play anywhere in the middle of your infield just be a scrappy player um and, and some some really high things um some high praise for him you know if you if you dig in and start reading a little bit on uh, owen miller a lot of high praise in fact he was the number nine prospect in their system last year so you know he's a guy who's been hovering right around the top 10 in that farm system, which has been loaded. If you go back to last year, they had even more of those guys that are now in the majors or in their minor league system. So to be the number nine ranked prospect in their system a year ago, that's a pretty good baseball player. Um, and if you go back to 2018, Cal Quant Quantrill was their number 11 rated prospect uh, and Josh Naylor was number 15. And then of course they got Logan Allen last year in the trade uh, in addition to Fran Mil Reyes and he was ranked number eight in their farm system. So uh, a lot of guys that they've pulled from what is really rated as one of the top three, I think I saw it as high as number two, rated farm system in all of baseball. So, you know, even though they didn't get that top-of-the-line guy, they went out and got a bunch of guys from a system that is very, very highly rated, and not only in theory, but has started to really produce some guys who are really uh, becoming more than just prospects at this point. And so... You know, that's one of the key things as well, is that a lot of these guys have started to turn into actual players. 
Uh, Quantrill had had pitched with the or had pitched with the Padres this season. He had thrown 17 innings, and he had uh, in in 10 games had a 2.6 ERA. So you've got guys that are starting to actually do something at the major league level versus just relying on their minor league numbers. And then, of course, obviously, Fernando Tatis is taking the whole league by storm. Not originally uh, a San Diego Padres minor league guy. That's one of those uh, kind of fortuitous situations for the Indians. Fernando Tatis originally part of the Chicago White Sox system, came over to the Padres in the trade for James Shields, which I'm sure everyone in that system is now regretting since he looks like you know the next great shortstop prospect in all of baseball. But you're starting to see more and more of these guys uh, actually come up and make a difference. Josh Naylor was hitting 278 with the Padres this season. So again, that's a guy who you know, was one of the highest rated prospects in their system going back to 2018. Uh, and so this year you're starting to see him contribute at the major league level, which I think is a great sign that he's actually going to be able to contribute at that le- level. He had played in 18 games, uh, 36 at bats, 10 hits, one home run, um, and a triple. So this is a guy who was starting to contribute at the major league level, which is a good sign. So they got a couple guys that are major league uh, ready, and then they got some guys who are really going to be you know, part of the future for the Indians. And the Padres gave up seven. They didn't give up, again, any of their top five, but they gave up seven of their top 30 prospects at the deadline, and they only dropped to the number three system in baseball, according to MLB.com. That tells you how good that farm system is. They gave up seven of their top 30 guys, and they only dropped one spot uh, in the overall rankings for the farm system, only the Tampa Bay Rays and the Detroit Tigers are currently ranked higher than the Padres, even after these trades. Now, part of that is the fact they held on to their top five guys. The other part of that is that this is an incredibly deep farm system with a lot of talent. And I think the Indians knew that from some of their past trades, and they made that a focal point, obviously, uh, of the Mike Clevenger trade. And so as a result, the Indians farm system actually jumped uh, up to number 12, Overall in baseball, um, because of the addition of some of these guys, so they're starting to replenish, again, some of their minor leagues. They haven't always done a great job of developing their own prospects, guys they've drafted or signed, but they've done a great job over the years of trading for guys in other people's farm systems. The Carlos Santanas, the Corey Klubers, you know, they've done a great job of going out and getting some of these guys from other teams and then developing them into great major league baseball players. Um, So here's what MLB.com had to say following the trade. They said the Indians should climb towards the top of the list. They're talking about these farm system rankings in the coming years because they have a system full of young talent on the rise. Nine of their 12 best prospects have yet to turn 21. So the Indians now have some of these really young guys who they can develop over the next few years, get to the major leagues in their early 20s, uh, and maybe have another Francisco Lindor or another uh, Zach Plesac who could come up and be, you know, an immediate impact type guy. And so that now includes both uh, Arias and Cantillo. So two of the key points in this trade, both of those guys are only 20 years old um, and will likely end up being, you know, potentially the most important part of that trade. If those guys don't pan out, then probably not a trade the Indians are going to win. But again, they have a pretty good track record of finding those guys Uh, lower in the system, finding those guys maybe outside of the top five, not necessarily going for the one big guy, the one big prospect that they needed to get 
out of a trade. And so let's take a closer look at this deal and whether the Indians got enough in their trade for Mike Clevenger. Uh, first, we got to look at the three players that um, they acquired in the trade on Tuesday. Although the guy they got last year, uh, Fernando Reyes, has really been the star of the show lately for the Indians. So in the game, you know, right right following that trade deadline acquisition, he came he came out. Fernando Reyes came out, went five for five with a home run and two doubles uh, to welcome his new and former teammates to the Indians. So Fernando Reyes. Uh, the Indians picked him up at the deadline. We mentioned that already last year in the trade with Trevor Bauer. Reyes having a fantastic season for the Indians. Got off to a little bit of a slow start, but really started to pick it up. I thought those two kind of moonshot home runs that he hit in Detroit really got Framil Reyes going. I think he he kind of that kind of jump started him. Oh yeah, I can I can hit this ball a really long way, uh, and he has been ever since. So for the season, he now in 153 at bats this season. He has eight home runs eight doubles, um, second on the team in RBIs with 25 behind Jose Ramirez, hitting 314. Uh, this guy has just been uh, an incredible find for the Indians. And um, it's unfortunate he doesn't play outfield. He's, he's designated really to just being the designated hitter. Uh, but other than that, an absolute find for the Indians. And so that's encouraging when you think about making another trade with the Padres because Fran Reyes wasn't one of those top five guys. Uh, he wasn't a guy that – um, you know, everybody thought was a, a can't miss prospect. If you go back to 2018 or even last year, he was not a top 20 guy. I went back and looked at the numbers, looked at the rankings from MLB.com, a few other sites um, back in 2018. And Framo Reyes was not even uh, one of the top prospects, top 20 prospects in the Padres farm system heading into that season. So the Indians clearly feel like they can find some of these deeper prospects in other teams' farm systems. They feel like they did that with Fran Mel Reyes, um, and I'm sure they feel like they, they did that again in this trade. So if you're going to believe the Indians did well in the trade for Mike Clevenger, you're probably going to have to buy into that concept. You're probably going to have to believe that the Indians know what they're doing, that this front office knows how to find talent, knows how to uncover some of these guys, because, again, they didn't get one of those top five prospects. They didn't get – uh, major league ready, you know, superstar potential outfield player. Now maybe Josh Naylor can be an everyday starter, but he's not, you know, that superstar top tier prospect outfield hitter that everyone thought the Indians needed. If you're going to give up Mike Clevenger, you got to get uh, an everyday left fielder, everyday right fielder, center fielder, even pretty much anywhere uh, in the outfield who is, you know, kind of a sure thing. And they definitely did not get that in this trade. And so I think some people probably were skeptical. Some people may be disappointed about the trade, uh, giving up Mike Clevenger, who was a very likable guy, who was a guy, you know, especially pre-COVID kind of Chicago incident, but very likable guy, a guy that I think uh, the city liked to root for. But, um, you know, when you think about losing Clevenger and not getting one of those kind of sure thing outfield hitters back, I think there's some guys, uh, some people out there who were a little bit disappointed in that. But I did have a chance to hear one of the San Diego reporters talking uh, on Cleveland radio. So after that, some of the folks here had him on the radio. And one of the things that he was talking about is how A.J. Preller, the, the Padres general manager, basically told everyone going to the deadline they were not going to give up any of their top five prospects unless they were getting, you know, a Max Scherzer type guy. Um, and so without that, and and, you know, there really wasn't that kind of a trade out there, that they were not going to be giving up any of those top five guys. And so, again, you got to think about the Padres system 
a little bit differently than you think about a lot of other systems because most of these top five guys were recent first round picks and guys that the Padres have invested pretty big money into um, because that was the more important part of their team. The more important part of their franchise was this minor league system, their major league system up until, you know, maybe last year, now this year was more of an afterthought. It was building up this top tier talent in their minor leagues. Okay. Round two, name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And so uh, Mackenzie Gore, Luis Patino are the top two pitchers in their firm system. Uh, Gore in particular was the number three overall pick in the 2017 draft, and he was the 2019 MLB Pipeline Pitcher of the Year. So that's your number one pitcher, a guy who was taken number three uh, overall three years ago and was rated really the top pitcher in the minor leagues a season ago. You're not getting that guy. Um, you know, you're not getting Mackenzie Gore from the Padres unless you're, again, sending them a sure thing front-end ace. And I, and I just don't see Clevenger uh, fitting that bill. Uh, C.J. Abrams is a 19-year-old shortstop who they think could hit maybe 15, 20 home runs a season, steal 30 bases. He was the sixth overall pick in the 2019 draft and the rookie Arizona League MVP. He hit 401 with 23 extra base hits and 14 steals in 32 games. You're not getting him. So you're starting to see the picture. And when you think about Mackenzie Gore, Luis Patino, C.J. Abrams as their top three prospects, those guys are just not guys that they're going to make available. Um, And so then you come down to the next guy, catcher Luis uh, Camposano, looks like their catcher of the future. He was the first catcher off the board in the 2017 draft, and he signed with the Padres for $1.3 million after they took him in the second round. So that 2017 draft worked out nicely for them. They took Mackenzie Gore uh, with the number three overall pick, and they took Camposano with the 39th overall pick, and committed big dollars to him. $1.3 million is a big contract for a second-round pick. So, again, these are guys that they really committed to. They took those kind of high-end guys that typically require bigger signing bonuses, bigger contracts, and those are the guys that they've been committing to. And then the guy who I would have liked to see them come away with in this trade would have been Robert Hassel, who's a 19-year-old and their top outfield prospect. He was the eighth overall pick in – Uh, the 2020 draft. So again, you're talking about guys who are really fresh, really guys who have been recently added to the farm system and a bunch of guys that were taken in the first or second round and that were given uh, big signing bonuses, big financial commitments for minor leaguers. And so, you know, this is something where the, the Padres were just not going to trade any of these guys and they don't really have to. They've got a young roster, Obviously, they feel like they need to do something to make a a run at it right now. They they haven't been competitive in quite some time. But this is not a a situation where they were going to be trading a lot of these guys. Uh, So this system is basically loaded with top-tier first-round talent. You know, again, uh, they also had uh, Taylor Trammell in their minor league system, which is who they got back in that Trevor Bauer, Franmo Reyes uh, deal. And so – uh, Trammell was a guy who, again, maybe the, the Indians could have gotten their hands on, 
Um, he did end up getting traded to Seattle for Austin Nola. So um, that was a guy that maybe if you thought they could get an outfielder, I don't know how to feel about Taylor Trammell. He, he now has had two different teams essentially give up on him, two different teams trade him. Now, not that they didn't get anything back. Obviously the Reds got Trevor Bauer back in that deal. Uh, and then obviously um, the Padres got Austin Nola back, but now you're talking about a guy who's been traded to two different teams. And he was also passed up by 30 teams in the 2016 major league draft, despite being, you know, what, who was argu- the player who was arguably the best talent on the board. So uh, something about this guy, teams are not necessarily, you know, seeing him as a long-term solution. So maybe there's something going on there. Would have liked to see the Indians get their hands on a guy uh, like Trammell, uh, you know, somebody who, who or, or Hassel, somebody who's a minor league, big-time outfield prospect. Uh, but other than that, again, you have to kind of buy into the fact the Indians are going to be able to develop some of these guys. So let's start with the three major league guys, and, and we'll kind of go from there and then move into the next section. So Josh Naylor, mentioned him. He's the outfielder they got in this deal, can also play first base. Um, he's a guy that, again, another high draft pick. He was the 12th overall pick in the 2015 Major League Draft. So this is a guy who has been very, very highly rated in the past, uh, but just never got those everyday at-bats in San Diego. As I mentioned, he was, he was doing pretty well in the limited at-bats he was getting in San Diego, hitting 278 this season. Um, and he should get plenty of at-bats for the Indians down the stretch, or at least in the future, against right-handed hitters. The Indians at the time of the trade had the worst outfield OPS in the American League at 572. Naylor's was 732. So you're talking about a guy who, you know, potentially could give you some pop, potentially could give you another nice bat. Hasn't exactly done that so far since coming over. He has played in eight games with the Indians now, and he has five hits in 25 at-bats. He's driven in two runs, and he has scored three runs. He's hitting 200, slugging 200. Uh, in eight games. So hasn't done a whole lot since coming over so far, but it's early. Obviously, the Indians in general have not been doing a whole lot, although they've had some breakout offensive games. But Josh Naylor is one of those guys that you kind of need him to be at least serviceable for this trade to be looked at fondly because they needed an outfield bat. They needed somebody who could hit uh, from the corner outfield spot. Although Tyler Naquin has come on this season, he's played really well for the Indians, or, or at least uh, pretty well for the Indians. His batting average is actually lower than I expected it to be. He's only hitting 247 at this point, 23 strikeouts and two walks. So not a great ratio there, um, but he does have four home runs, 19 RBIs in just 25 games since coming back from injury. So, you know, you've got maybe something in Tyler Naquin, and then you've got to find a left fielder. And so you're, you're rotating now, right now, Jordan Luplo, you're rotating – um, you know, Josh Naylor now in there. Oscar Mercado got called back up when they dealt Greg Allen in that trade to San Diego. So hopefully between those guys, you can find something. But Naylor's one of those guys. He's 23. So very promising potential player for the Indians. But again, not one of those necessarily thought of high-end, high-end prospects uh, in, this, in this deal. Um, the other guy who they got in this trade who is major league ready and you know, potentially can help them down the stretch is Cal Quantrill. He's 25, right-hander, and he's been pretty good in relief for San Diego. He posted uh, a 171 ERA in 17 in the third inning, so he pitched 10 games with the Padres 
and should be able to add some depth for the Indians in the bullpen. This is a guy who didn't quite make it as a starter, was drafted as a starter. He was actually, again, fitting with the theme here, the number eight overall pick in the 2016 Major League Draft out of Stanford. Um, and so he's really found a home more as a reliever than a starter. I think that's obviously where the Indians will keep him long-term. He doesn't throw all that hard. So he's a guy who can give you uh, something out of the bullpen, but he's been great since coming over to the Indians. Pitched in three games. He's thrown three and two-thirds innings, has yet to give up an earned run. Now, he did give up two unearned runs uh, the other night, but has yet to give up an earned run um, since coming over to the Indians. He struck out three and not walked anyone in those three and two-thirds. So Cal Quantrill could be a guy who, again, hard to find reliable bullpen pitchers, especially year over year. So at 25, maybe he's a guy who, again, drafted eighth overall uh, in 2016 can can be a long-term solution, maybe even a back end of the rotation guy if, if the Indians, again, can do some of what they've done with some of these other young guys and develop uh, him and, and really bring him along. But we'll see what he becomes long-term. But I like that addition. He's a guy with high upside for me. And then the last guy for the major leagues that they got in this trade was Austin Hedges. And Hedges is 28. He's really a backup catcher, so kind of a you know weird – uh, move here, you know, unless again, they think that uh, they're, they're going to struggle to, to kind of keep their, their catchers healthy for the long term. Obviously we've seen some injuries creep up with this team. And um, you know, we know Roberto Perez has been banged up. He's only played in 19 games this season. He's hitting 186. Bo Taylor uh, didn't do much with the Indians. He hit 048 and they sent him down. And then Sandy Leone kind of inherited the everyday starting job. He's hitting a buck 40 and just not a reliable option for the Indians. So maybe they think Austin Hedges can help them. He hasn't really had a chance to do much since coming over. He's only played in two games. He's 0 for 4, not necessarily known as a great hitter, uh, but he is one of the best defensive backstops in the game. And that's what he was known for in San Diego, very similar to a Roberto Perez. He's a guy that can really throw guys out behind the plate, can call a great game. And we've seen that over the years. The Indians tend to prioritize the catchers who can throw out base runners and who can call a great game for this pitching staff over guys who are going to be, you know, big hitters. And so, you know, he's actually, he actually was hitting the ball better than any of the guys on the Indians before he came over. But um, he's a guy that, and maybe again, maybe he's your solution. If you move on from Roberto Perez, when his contract is up, they think that Austin Hedges can give you something very, very similar to what they got um, with Roberto Perez. Okay, so that kind of gives you an idea about those three guys and, you know, their impact on the major leagues. Before we get into the minor league guys, I want to talk a little bit here on this episode about what's going on in the major leagues. We saw Zach Plesak come back after his uh, time away because of the COVID fiasco, so Unlike Clevenger, although he, he did come back and make one start for the Indians before he was traded, I think everybody kind of had a feeling that was a showcase game. People, they wanted to see he was healthy. They wanted to see that he still had his good stuff um, before they dealt him. And so I think that was pretty clear what was going on there. But Zach Plesek has now been brought back as well. And so he came back right after the trade deadline, made his first start since August 8th, threw six innings, gave up one run, allowed four hits, no walks and just continues his season pitching great for the Indians. And again, has to be considered at this point, you know, he's, if he's not your number two starter, he's definitely your number three. He's been their number two starter in the games that he's pitched this year. Um, 
So he's pitched in five games this season, 34 innings. He is 3-1 and one with a 1.32 ERA. He has 34 strikeouts and two walks. So this guy has been fantastic uh, in those five starts, really right up there with Shane Bieber. Uh, not necessarily in the number of wins, but those numbers can stack up with pretty much anyone in the league. And so, again, we talked about this on the last episode, would have made zero sense for them to trade Zach Plesak. Um, and they really need this guy to establish himself as one of the front end of the rotation guys. Speaking of Shane Bieber, his rotational mate, Shane Bieber, continues to be the best pitcher in baseball or best pitcher in the American League. He is now 7-0 and on the season in nine starts. He's pitched 57 and two-thirds innings, and he has 94 strikeouts and just 14 walks. So you're talking about uh, a guy who has been absolutely phenomenal, he has a 1.25 ERA uh, and a .85 WHIP. So, which is if you if you're not familiar with WHIP, that's walks plus hits per innings pitch. So, basically, how many base runners has he allowed? Uh, he's got a .85 WHIP. The only uh, member of the rotation with a better WHIP is Zach Plesac with a .735 WHIP. So, both of those guys have been phenomenal at the front end of this rotation. Um, and then you move into kind of what I would consider to be the biggest problem area of this season for the Indians, which is their next two starters, Aaron Savale and Carlos Carrasco also have great numbers. So Savale has pitched eight games. He has a 3.63 ERA. He's thrown 49 strikeouts in 52 innings, which is fantastic. If he's your number four, potentially your number four starter behind um, Bieber, Plesak and Carrasco, that's a fantastic uh, stat line for your number four starter. The problem is Savale's three and four on the season because the Indians are not scoring runs consistently enough to help these pitchers out. And the same thing goes for Carlos Carrasco, who, you know, you would think is at least your number three starter at this point. Um, and, and Carlos Carrasco, very similar numbers to, to Savale. He's pitched nine games or started nine games this season. He's thrown 49 innings. He has 58 strikeouts and uh, a 3.12 ERA, and yet he's 2-4 and four on the season. So you're talking about two guys that in 17 starts have pitched fantastic, have been you know, top-line starters in, in basically the majority of those starts, and these guys don't have a lot to show for it. They're combined 5-9 and nine on the season in their overall record. And that's the problem right now for the Indians. This team, although they're right there in the hunt, um, the problem is they're not getting the run support on a consistent basis. They have one game where they score 14 runs, and then the next night they get shut out. Um, and so that's something that you, you really have to kind of figure out down the stretch. I know you can't just, you can't just turn around and you know, share some of those runs from the night before, but this is the problem for the Cleveland Indians, that you've got these guys who are pitching great, who are really uh, putting you in a position to win every single night. And yet, you know, these guys are, are not getting the support that they need. And there was a, an interesting stat that was shared on Twitter um, by, by Jacob Rosen. Uh, so this was an interesting stat for me where he said, uh, Cleveland's baseball team is a league best 20 and two. And this was back on September 7th that he shared this, but uh, Cleveland's baseball team is a league best 20 and two when scoring three or more runs. So 20 and two at that point in the season when they score just three or more runs. 
And that goes back to that pitching staff. All they need to do essentially to guarantee victory is to score three or more runs. And yet they had accomplished that in a league worst 55% of their games. So that means in almost half of their games this season to that point, they had not scored three runs or more. And in the games that they did score three runs or more, they had uh, essentially a 91% winning percentage. Insane. Insane. I mean, that's what we're talking about. That's why the Indians are not running away with this division because they're just not scoring enough consistently. And then you add in at the end of that rotation. So let's just say that's your, your top four, right? Shane Bieber, Zach Fleisak, Carlos Carrasco, Aaron Savale. If I was starting a playoff series tomorrow, that's what I'm putting out there. I'm going, Zach, I'm going Shane Bieber in game one. You're getting the ball. You're the ace. Uh, I'm going Zach Fleisak in game two. He's pitched fantastic this year. And I'm not going away from that. Uh, game three, I'm going with Cookie. I'm going with Carlos Carrasco. He's been there. He's a seasoned veteran. He's my game three starter. Game four, I'm going Aaron Savale. Not bad for a game four starter. 3.63 ERA, 49 strikeouts in 52 innings this season. And then right now, your game five starter, I can tell you who it's not going to be, is not going to be Adam Plutko. Um, I think, again, a guy who's better suited coming out of the bullpen. He has a 5.64 ERA on the season in seven appearances, four starts, but I'm going with obviously the kid, my guy, our guy here on the show, Tristan McKenzie. Uh, although Chris, Tristan McKenzie did uh, post on Twitter the other day that he wants to meet LeBron James. So LeBron, if you're listening, and I'm sure you're an avid listener to this show and a member here at Buckeye Scoop, uh, hook the kid up. Uh, I think this kid's got a very bright future and he has pitched well for the Indians this season in four starts since coming up for the Indians. He's two and oh, with a 2.57 ERA in 21 innings. He has 26 strikeouts and just five walks. Got to watch out for those home runs. Given up three home runs uh, in his four games that he's pitched, but that's always been the issue with the Indians. I, I would say even the guys who have pitched well this season, um, home runs tend to be you know, their only kind of weak spot. But this kid has been fantastic. He has a .76 whip, so actually lower than Shane Beaver in his first four starts. Uh, has only allowed 11 hits in 21 innings. And, uh, again, if this guy's your number five starter, then I think you're in good shape. You give, your ch you're, you give yourself a chance to win uh, every single night with one of these five guys on the mound. Now, can they hit enough? We don't know. Uh, but those, those five guys give you a chance to win. And so the Indians uh, are winning, you know, maybe not as much as they should be with that type of a rotation, but they are winning enough to be in the hunt. And so we'll get into that here in our, our last section uh, for this week. I'll get a little bit deeper into some of those other prospects from the trade next week uh, on episode seven of our podcast here. But we'll wrap up this week with a little bit of a look at where the Indians are in the standings, what's going on around Major League Baseball. So right now, even with that fact that I just threw out there, uh, the Indians are 26 and 17, and they are one game out of first place. Now, the game, you know, that game is behind the Chicago White Sox. And I told you back in probably episode two or three of this series that the Chicago White Sox are, are a talented team, a lot of young players. They had one of the best farm systems in baseball. Some of those guys are, are up in the big leagues now. They've signed some veterans. They were going to be in the hunt. Uh, and here we are. You know, here we are. They are now uh, well in the hunt. And they are 27 and 16. And they are scoring a lot of runs. 
So, you know, they are actually the highest scoring team in the American League right now. They have 230 runs scored this season. They've allowed 171 runs as a pitching staff, and that is an American League best plus 59 in their run differential this season. The Indians, right behind them, again, one game back, the Indians uh, have allowed 129 runs this season, which is the lowest number in the American League. No, No surprise there. 129 runs allowed. In fact, that is the lowest number in all of baseball. So the Indians have allowed the fewest runs in baseball to this point. So again, 26 and 17, one game out of first sounds pretty good. But when you hear that, um, obviously you think about what could be. The only team that's even close to that is the St. Louis Cardinals that have allowed 133 runs on the season. But when you think about you know, the Los Angeles Dodgers being 32 and 12, 20 games over 500, they've allowed 151 runs. Now they've scored 252, so they have an insane run differential. That offense has just been ridiculous. Um, they're a plus 101 on the season. Nobody else in baseball is even close to that. In fact, the Padres are, are second. The Padres have a plus 65 in their run differential on the season, and they're second in baseball, followed by the White Sox at a plus 59. And then the Atlanta Braves, are right behind them at a plus 52, Cleveland Indians right behind them at a plus 49. So, again, they've allowed a league low 129 runs, but they have scored just 178 runs on the season, and that's one of the lowest outputs in the American League. Only the the, uh, Texas Rangers and the Kansas City Royals have scored fewer runs this season than the Indians in the American League. Uh, Looking at the National League, which you would typically expect to be a lower-scoring league, although they are using the designated hitter this season, there are some teams, you know, below 178, most of the NL Central, other than the Cubs, the, you know, the Pirates, the Reds, the Brewers, the the, uh, Cardinals, all below that number. But that's it. And and the Miami Marlins. Those are the only teams in the National League that have scored fewer runs than the Indians this season. So one of the worst offenses in baseball, although they have shown glimpses, Um, they have not been able to consistently produce. And that's why they're in this position where they're one game back of the White Sox and they're tied with the Minnesota Twins. Minnesota Twins are 27 and 18. So they have one more win and one more loss than the Indians. They actually have a 600 win percentage. The Indians are 605, um, but tied for the division right now. And uh, again, this is going to be a battle down the stretch between the Indians, between the White Sox and between the Minnesota Twins. Um, And the Indians didn't do themselves any favors this week. They had a chance to really put some distance between themselves. Uh, They won three out of three or they won two out of three over the weekend against the Brewers. And then they came out and dropped two of the first three games against the Kansas city Royals. So they won on Monday night, five to two, and then they lost uh, eight to six on Tuesday. And then last night uh, being Wednesday night, they lost three, nothing to the Royals. So another great example where they just didn't get it done. They couldn't get any hitting, uh, and they lose a game three to nothing. So, you know, again, this is something they've got to figure out. They've got a three-game series coming up uh, against the Twins in Minnesota where they got worked earlier in the season. They've got a two-game series coming up at the Chicago Cubs, which is going to be tough. They get a four-game series in Detroit, which – should be, you know, a series they can take three out of four, maybe sweep. Again, they had won 20 straight against the Tigers before the last series when the Tigers took two out of three. 
uh, in Cleveland, but they're back in Detroit where they have owned the Tigers. And then they get a big four-game series in Cleveland against the Chicago White Sox uh, the 21st, 22nd, 23rd, and 24th of September. So a big stretch coming up for the Indians, three games against the Twins, four games against the White Sox. That's going to go a long way in determining the season. Then they wrap up that this month with three games against the Pirates. So those are games you would think uh, that you feel pretty good about. And then that's it. That's it. So this is going to be uh, a big stretch for the Indians when you think about really the seven, if you include the Cubs, the nine biggest games of the season here after this, uh, after they get into the weekend here, you've got three at Minnesota, two at, at the Cubs, four at home against the White Sox. And then you hope, you know, in the other seven games where you're playing the Tigers and Pirates that you're going to take, you know, five, six, seven of those games and put yourself in good position. But um, down the stretch, we've got some big games. This has actually been pretty fun. I said that at the beginning of the year when we had our first episode, and it feels like it was just yesterday. We had our first episode. I talked about um, how much fun this was going to be, how much more fun this was going to be, only having 60 games. And, you know, really, you know, being in the heart of it right out of the gate. And so it has been fun. And we're finding ourselves here in this position now where the Indians are right in the thick of things. They are, you know, right there in a three-way battle. And they only have 17 games left in this season. So 26 and 17 uh, with 17 games left in the season. And they continue to play well on the road. They're 14 and 7 but just 12 and 10 at home. And they're splitting against teams that are over 500. They're only nine and nine on the season against teams that are over 500. The good news is the White Sox are even worse. The White Sox are seven and 11 against teams that are over 500. So they've really beat up on some of the lesser teams. The twins, however, are 11 and six against teams over 500. So the twins right now, to me, have shown that they are the better team out of this, this kind of three, three man team because they've been able to do it against better teams. The Indians should be right there. Again, uh, when you have the lowest runs allowed in baseball, you should be right there and be able to beat anyone. But the problem with the Indians this year and the problem with the Indians in years past is that they struggle against good pitching. They struggle to get hits against good teams. And that's where this season is going to be won and lost. Is, is uh, this lineup good enough to get hits when it matters? Uh, obviously, it's a very strange year, not just with COVID-19, but the fact that Terry Francona really has not been around for much of it because of some of his health problems, and we wish Tito the best, obviously, there. He's been fantastic to, to have in the city of Cleveland as the manager, and I know he was in the ballpark the other night, so hopefully he'll be back in the dugout here soon. But Sandy Alomar Jr. has done a fantastic job of uh, leading the way for this team and trying to keep things as normal as possible. So the Indians really need to make sure they take care of business uh, over these next 17 games, set themselves up for success. Because if you look around the rest of the league, it's not exactly what we thought. So if you look around the rest of the American League, and we'll kind of wrap up with this, the Oakland Athletics are 26-15. and 15. I thought they would fade away, but they're right there in the hunt. No one else in that division has done anything. The Houston Astros are second in the division at 22-22, and 22, and they're 3-7. and seven in their last 10 games. Then you go to the American League East. We've been talking all year about the Yankees, that lineup. Oh, my goodness, this team's going to be unbeatable. They score an insane amount of runs. Um, they're not even leading the league. They're, not, they're, they're, not, they're last in the American League East in runs scored this season. That is insane to me. 
when we sat here three, four weeks ago and said, how is anyone going to beat the Yankees? You know, they're just putting runs up at an incredible rate. They're now, they now have scored 202 runs on the season, which is lower than the Twins. It is more than the Indians, but lower than the Twins, lower than the Red Sox, who are 15 and 29, lower than the Baltimore Orioles, who are 20 and 22, and lower than the, the Toronto Blue Jays and Tampa Bay Rays, both of who are he- ahead of the Yankees in the standings. Uh, so the Yankees right now are scheduled to make the playoffs in this expanded uh, format at 22 and 21, but there's a very good chance the Yankees could be out. And if the Yankees are out or if they're any version of what they're, they are right now, then I think the door is wide open because they're the team that was obviously made to really, you know, be able to destroy other teams with that lineup. So when you think about the Tampa Bay Rays leading the American League East or the Toronto Blue Jays being 24-19, you think about the Twins, the White Sox, you think about the Oakland Athletics, those are all teams that Cleveland can beat. With this pitching staff, Absolutely. Those are all teams that I would, I mean, again, I haven't necessarily looked at um, Tampa closely enough to say exactly what's going on there. Maybe we'll take a look at them on the next episode, but I didn't think they would still be around at this point at 28 and 15, 13 games over 500. Uh, Their pitching staff's been great. They've only allowed 180 runs on the season. Again, that's 51 more than the Indians, but um I would take the Indians against any of these teams right now, except the twins. I don't think they've proven this year that they can beat the twins uh, with that twins lineup that they've been able to get home runs, especially off of this pitching staff. So to me, this series coming up against the twins will tell me a lot because I like the Indians in a matchup in a playoff series against any of these other teams, maybe the Yankees, if they're, if they figure it out over the next uh two to three weeks, then, you know, that would be the one team I probably wouldn't want to play given the history, uh, recent history against the Yankees. But other than that, this season has shaped up to be very, very winnable for the Cleveland Indians. Now, maybe nobody matters in the American League if the Los Angeles Dodgers are going to run away with this at 32 and 12. But, you know, the Indians are right there. How crazy would it be if somehow the Indians made it to the World Series and they were facing off against Mike Clevenger and the San Diego Padres? That would be fantastic. Shane Bieber, Mike Clevenger, game one, or Zach Plesak and Mike Clevenger in game two. Uh, what a storyline that would be. The, the two COVID Chicago guys uh, facing off in the World Series uh, in game two. But we'll see. That long ways off still, but going to be here before you know it. So uh, appreciate you joining me for another episode of Just a Bit Outside. Again, you can give us a follow on Twitter at Just Outside Pod. You can follow me, your host, Brandon Castell, at Bcast Ohio, And certainly you can follow Buckeye Scoop and Scoop Pods uh, on Twitter as well. And we look forward to catching up with you again next week. 